When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning on this Friday morning. It's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia Messenger right through until one. Patricia returns after the midterm on Monday from 10 a.m. Bernie takes your calls and comments today, 1850-333-103. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can send us a private message on Facebook to at C103Cork or tweet us this morning at C103Cork. You can always email jp at c103.ie. So various ways to contact us across the show until one o'clock and ahead on the programme this morning. We're going to hear uh, why one Cork County councillor wants penalty points introduced for the wrongful use of disabled bays. This is something we hear a lot on the show. Fines are there, I know, but still people seem to be uh, misusing disabled bays, which are there for an obvious reason. The big thing we hear uh, from wheelchair users is if they cannot find a disabled bay when they park in one of the other parking spaces, they're not wide enough to open your car door and then to try and get out a wheelchair because they're too tight or also if you do find a space then you find yourself in a situation whereby you can't get back into the car because the car has parked next to what was a free space that is when all the disabled bays are taken up and not all the time but sometimes those disabled bays are taken up and used by those who are able to body. We also have the situation, of course, we can't judge everybody the same. There's different disabilities out there and some people do use the disabled base, had the badge and they might be able, they might have a different disability whereby you can see them getting out of the car or whatever and walking off. doesn't mean that they aren't entitled to the disabled bay, but this is more or less for those who are able to bodies, have no disability and are just using the bay for convenience purposes. So those people, should they receive penalty points for the wrongful use of disabled base and the inconvenience that caused those who should be parking there. Let us know your views on that. We'll discuss with Councillor Liam O'Connor from Carrig Line who wants this introduced to 1850 Your views on introducing penalty points for the wrongful use of disabled base. You can text WhatsApp 0862103103. Also, a lot of tweets to us last night and this was more or less after 7 o'clock uh, tweeting to Ansi 103 Cork from commuters who were travelling from various parts of the city 
and suburbs to various parts of the county and basically it took them two hours to get home and it's happening more and more especially along the South Link whereby if there's an accident you can't just uh, I suppose if there's an accident you can't just move your car you have to stay in the same position you were at following the accident so Gardaí can come out and assess what actually happened and then you can move uh, both cars or however many, however many cars there is uh, to the side of the road this was an accident that took place in the Jack Lynch Tunnel it did hold up everything from Mahan to the Dunkettle Interchange but then as rush hour started I think this accident was after three o'clock but anyhow rush hour after four began and when it did the queues formed on the south link which meant people then decided to go into the city centre use the shortcuts in the city centre they backed up leading to the north ring backing up and the whole place backed up and then people who were going home from work could not get home from work already uh, we have uh, comments coming into us on that I'll get through them shortly but uh, from what we heard from people and one uh, listener last night on Twitter telling us to get uh, from an area near Wilton to Inishannon took her an hour and a half and we have other examples of that coming in on text somebody I don't know where this person was going to uh, but this person says an hour and 45 minutes a journey yesterday evening for a journey that should take 10 minutes to go home and we had people on to us who missed uh, collecting their children from childminders missed appointments missed going to the gym in the evening all because of the traffic intake and a lot of this of course is from people who are living uh, maybe living in the county working in the city people in the city who have bought houses in the county and travelling from the city to the county it all adds up traffic wise on the roads and they are unable to get home and this isn't just happening once a week it'll be happening once twice or three times a week when people and I, and I find sometimes it's a Thursday, a Tuesday and a Wednesday can be the worst days for this with people trying to get home after a long days of work. They're leaving their home at 7am, uh, returning back at half six, seven. But last night people were returning back home at nine o'clock because of those particular traffic delays. Were you caught up on those? Let us know. And if you're a commuter, if you're in your office now and you're commuting uh, from the county to the city or vice versa, let us know what you come across. It seems it's a nightmare more and more, especially for those working on the south side of the city and travelling and commuting to county areas. We're also going to hear why the Irish Council for Civil Liberties feels body cameras worn by Gardaí would breach privacy rights. Your view on that, would you be happy to see Gardaí with the body cameras because if anything happens, the evidence will be there. I mean, Would you be worried if your face or voice was on one of those particular devices? Well, the Civil Liberties feel it would breach privacy rights. We'll discuss why with them. Your views are welcome on that. The UK, of course, were due to leave the EU yesterday and they're still in the EU and Brexit has now moved out to next year so uh, this leaves many elected MEPs who won seats in last May's election in limbo uh, well what can they do because uh, they can't go to Europe until the UK leave as they will fill the seats left empty uh, from the UK we're going to speak with one of those MEPs that is Ireland South and Cork's Deirdre Clune on this particular issue and what is she doing at the moment until uh, Brexit happens and the UK leave the EU and also a new book has been launched tonight in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen and this is to tell the story of the most successful rowing club in the country and following the love affair with Paul and Gary O'Donovan Skibbereen Rowing Club got known across the world and local sports journalists and he's the sports editor with the Southern Star newspaper Kieran McCarthy has written about the club in this latest book so we'll speak to him on that later in the show 
Also, we're going to go to the movies uh, with Mark. We'll be reviewing the new Terminator movie and that and much more to come between now and one, including your calls and comments. They're welcome on 1850 333 103. Text of WhatsApp 086 2103 103. Or indeed, you can email jp at c103.ie. Also, calls coming in. We'll get to those shortly on the homeless figures which were released yesterday. Uh, the situation in Ackle uh, regarding asylum seekers and the actual plans they are now being called off uh, by the department on what they were going to do in Ackle. We'll get back to that as well on the show. And uh, also uh, the ongoing discussion of the Dublin TD, Maria Bailey, who could now uh, see the end of her political career following a local decision in Dublin, in Dunleary last night, uh, that and more to come. Mixed bag weather-wise today, gale force winds, rain and showers, a bit of everything thrown in for today on Friday, but uh, for those who unfortunately are going to be living out in that weather, it's not a great night for them tonight, and the reason I mention this is because homeless charities are warning that their shelters, as we know here in Cork, are just over capacity at the moment. We'll hear often from Focus Ireland and indeed uh, from Cork Simon on this and emergency accommodation shelters all over the country are finding this at the moment. It's going to get worse in the coming months uh, with winter approaching. At the moment, the number of people in emergency accommodation has remained above 10,000 for the eighth consecutive month this year. Uh, The Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government yesterday reporting that 10,300 197 people were in emergency accommodation in September. Uh, This included 6,524 adults and 3,873 children. Uh, That is an increase of 59 people compared with the previous month. Uh, The figures every month are increasing and despite all the highlighting and the work from the various homeless charities and the various things they have done over the last number of months and the calls to action from many who work with the homeless, still the big thing coming out from the government is that its supply is the issue. There were questions yesterday on this and everything they have come back with is that they're doing the best they can but they are limited with the supply of housing that has been built and that is one of the reasons even though there is in Cork at the moment a number of social housing units being built in various areas various county towns and various areas in the city but the big thing at the moment when it comes to emergency shelters especially here in Cork is because they're up beyond capacity and the increase in people looking for emergency accommodation the next number of months is going to be very challenging with a situation whereby we know of people who were in hotels hotels could be busy now in Cork for the Christmas period a lot happening here in Cork I mean uh, cities who have markets a glow will be coming back to Cork uh, this Christmas and the likes of those markets and the events brings people from other parts of Ireland and indeed Europe to cities like Cork like Galway like Dublin etc across the country and because of that hotels get busy sometimes then those who were in emergency accommodation in hotels have to leave that particular hotel and then where did they go? Anyhow, it's something that the housing charities are warning about but still the government all they can say is it's to do with supply and something that has been going on for the last number of days in Ackle and this is to do with the Department of Justice at the moment now they're not going to go along with this and there's no longer plans to use a hotel on Ackle Island to home asylum seekers but this is happening because of the 
the ongoing protest outside the particular house. There was plans um, to transfer 13 vulnerable women to the Ackle Head Hotel on Ackle Island. This was to provide a short-term accommodation for these women uh, who were seeking international protection in Ireland. Uh, the department say they would have stayed there for a maximum of three months. Locals, though, say that regrettably they feel there is no services for these women coming to that particular hotel. It's in a very isolated area. The department have issued a statement saying as ongoing protest remains in place outside the hotel, the department has regrettably decided that at the moment to ask the women to move there would not be in their best interest as they may be vulnerable while awaiting decisions on their protection applications. Well, I know we, we didn't have any issue in McCroom at the time that they were moving asylum seekers into the Riverside Park Hotel people were concerned the big concern was everybody was kept in the dark uh, no I'm sure there is people in the area who were not happy uh, that asylum seekers are in the hotel but when we were live from McCroom for our outside broadcast in September uh, the majority of people we spoke to on the street uh, no one had an issue uh, with the asylum seekers we spoke to asylum seekers themselves who told us straight out that they are being welcomed and they're getting involved in many organisations in the town like the Toddy Town group, groups uh, the soccer club was quite happy uh, that they got a, f- a few new uh, soccer players so quite a, a happy it seems and, and, and they settled in fairly well in, in McCroom anyhow when it came to the asylum seekers coming in that's not to say now that there is people who were not happy and just weren't comfortable saying it out in the open that they were not happy with the asylum seekers but overall the response that we found when we were in McCroom uh, people were happy and that they welcomed them into society and they didn't overall have a problem. They did question uh, bringing a group in. Was there services there? And, and they questioned, uh, would, they be availed, would they be able to avail of the certain services? But overall, uh, there was no uh, major problems with the asylum seekers coming to McCroom. And, and now it seems they're settling in well and they're joined at various organisations. Uh, not the case, though, for the likes of Uchtarard in Galway and now Ackle, whereby the asylum seekers are not moving into those locations. But on that, uh, one senator, that senator Aidan O'Reardon, he has said the government must stop pussyfooting around this issue when it comes to asylum seekers. He says that now uh, those asylum seekers that were due to go to Ackle and Mayo, they will now end up going somewhere else. He's mentioning as well about centres in Galway and Leitrim not opening over local opposition. Senator O'Reardon believes the government is losing control on the situation and he says it must be addressed. Uh, this was speaking earlier this morning. 13 women. I'd, I'd imagine if there were 13 white Danish Google workers, I doubt we'd have a number of protests outside the hotel on the island. I think we have to stop pussyfooting around this. Every other European country has had this problem and now it's here. Uh, and either we face up to it and call it out for what it is or else we just let it grow. Do you agree with him? Or what's your view on that? 1850-333-103. And Swingate continues for the Dublin TD, Maria Bailey. She faces being dropped from Fine Gael's general election ticket after a vote by her local constituency branch. Uh, the Fine Gael now have uh, the local branches deciding on who will go forward basically for election. Uh, but it seems now she could be off the ticket. The uh, situation now is that Leif Riker will have to move in on this uh, and he'll have to decide what will happen now. Uh, but at the moment it looks like following the vote last night by the locals in that area of Dublin and Dunleary branch of Fine Gael, it could spell the end of her political career. Afterwards, reporters did ask her, uh, would she be drawn on the results? But this was her response. Are you disappointed with the vote? I'm not going to comment. If that's okay, it's an internal matter. I don't comment on internal Fine Gael. 
And that's all she said. And it seems now there won't be any general election anyhow uh, this side of Christmas uh, due to the uh, Brexit uncertainty that it will be next year. Uh, we got a lot of calls yesterday when discussing about the lack of GP services in McCroom and how hard it was to access GP services in the McCroom and Mid Cork area. Also got a lot of calls from the Berla Peninsula on this and we are hoping to chat to someone on that, if not on today's show, on Monday's show about the situation in Berla when it goes uh, with the South Dock service, the out of hour services. Uh, we're being told by people People, uh, who contacted us following us discussing McCroom that there's big issues on the Beira Peninsula as well. Also a lot of calls coming in regarding the traffic situation. I'll get back to those as well but we're going to discuss uh, the issue of penalty points and should we have penalty points for the wrongful use of disabled parking bays across the country. Discussing that next. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. A Cork County councillor has said penalty points for the wrongful use of disabled bays should be implemented by the Transport Minister Shane Ross. Fine Gael Councillor for the Carrigaline area, Liam O'Connor who suggested this joins me. Good morning to you Liam. Morning Jopia, how are things? I'm fine and thanks for joining us this morning. First of all, I presume at this stage you would like a national conversation on this issue following local figures here released in Cork and first of all give us the details of those particular figures. Yeah, um, so in in 2017 um, there were uh, 220 fines were issued um, in the west, the east and north of Cork and in 2018 there was 238 fines and then for the first nine months of this year um, they have 189 fines have been issued so far um, which I suppose is quite high. I wasn't expecting the numbers that high um, to come through but I suppose the reason I had brought it up at council and had a, 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 a bit of emotion was um, I had a couple of calls my own area in Carrigaline about um, illegal parking in these areas and for from uh, disabled drivers that had come down into town that couldn't park. So I said, Jesus, if I, if I, if I have had a couple of calls in a couple of months, things mustn't be great um, at, at the county level. So that was the reason I'd asked for the, the number of figures. Um, and as you can see, they're quite high. You know, there's, that's, I suppose you, that's five or six tickets a week being issued. And yeah, that's it not, is. That's yeah. just in certain towns. And in Carrigaline, as you said, you got calls on that. Is it a big problem in Carrigaline? Because I know we get calls from a lot of towns across the county from people who say the same thing. They have their uh, blue badge. They go to park in a particular bay and they see a car with no badge on it. And they see people yeah. driving in and they don't display the badge. And I know everybody has various disabilities whereby if someone does park up, has a badge and is able to walk out, it doesn't mean that they don't have a disability, that they have a right to park there. But at the same time, there are people parking in these disabled bays and they're just using it from what we can hear from our listeners that contact us for the sake of convenience. Yeah, um, uh, we have, I'd say on the main street, we probably have four or five. We've coupled in, in the public car park. I spend a lot of time on the ground around Carriglines Park, the Town venue, and I see it um, a bit, not, not an awful lot. Um, generally, drivers are... are respect them and they don't park in there but you do see an odd, per- an odd person park in and they might be there for five or ten minutes and just run to the shop and come out and they're gone but in the meantime some a disabled driver might have come and tried to park in there and obviously then they have to drive to um, another one so look, it's very disappointing that it continues and it, it's for disappointing that the numbers are still quite high around the, con- the, the county you know it's, um, it's selfish and, and thoughtless behaviour really for, for drivers 
Yeah, I know we, we often get texts like this one from John who says, but surely if a disabled driver cannot find a particular disabled bay, uh, space in their local town or village, they can park in an, a particular space that isn't uh, required for disabled drivers. Uh, with that, though, you have an issue whereby if someone's in a wheelchair, they do need the extra space because some of the disabled bays are wider. They need that so they can open their car door and get the wheelchair out. And with the, some of the other spaces, you can't do that. So that's cannot, why no. they need those bays. No, no, not, especially in the main street, Carrigal Line, for example, uh, the, they're all along the side street, so it would be very difficult um, if, to park in a normal car parking space. And I suppose um, the other problem is um, is clamping are, is not in operation in private car parks. Um, I, I suppose traffic wardens and the Gardaí can only issue fines, or fi- fines for um, public spaces, but we have a lot of supermarkets and private-owned uh, car spaces um, parking lots that have no um, law, so people can there might be disabled spaces in there, but people can just drive in and park in there. You know, there's no consequence for them. So maybe that needs to be looked at too. So your one of your recommendations is introducing penalty points. Now, first of all, uh, this hopefully would highlight the issue more, and you think anyhow deter people. But the big question here is, if you do introduce penalty points, then who would police it? I mean, it would have to be probably <coughs> the Garda Shikona who would need to police this. It would be, yeah, but I thought it would be an incentive not to park in there. You know, I think if if, if penal points were introduced to get coverage, and I, I think to deter people from parking in there, you know, um, I suppose the main thing is for a traffic wardens in town. Um, every town in Cork does not have a traffic warden. Um, a lot of towns that have pay parking have traffic wardens, but a lot of the towns don't have, like Carrigline doesn't have uh, pay parking. We don't have a traffic um, ward in the town um, And is that one of the reasons you think that some towns uh, have an abuse level higher than other towns because of the lack of pay parking and indeed traffic wardens? Oh I'd say so yeah, yeah I, if you have a traffic warden um, walking down the street you, people are not going to park in um, any illegal spaces um, but, uh, around Cork really I, I'm not sure exactly the, how many we have now the boundary changes of course like, there should be um, reason for to kind of share a traffic ward between towns, maybe a couple of days a week they could be in Carrigoyne, a couple of days down the passage, or you know, just uh, share them around the, the county so everybody can get um, help from us, you know. An equal uh, opportunity like every other town would have yeah. to, to deal with these particular issues. So, uh, the penalty point situation that you would like introduced, what happens from here now? I mean, do, do you bring this along to your Fine Gael colleagues at a national level to see if, if this can be brought in and well, if it can be implemented? Yeah, so I'll be um, I'll be asking at the next council, full council meeting to um, uh, propose that we write a letter to uh, the Minister um, for him to look into this and see if this could be possible and if this could be implemented. And are you hopeful that it's something that he will take on board I and hopefully hopeful, implement yeah. it? I would be hopeful. I know this, this issue, issue has come up quite a lot it has. over the years yeah. in, the, in the council. Um, I, I'm sure I, I'd get uh, support from it. Well, we'll wait and see what happens, Liam, on that. If penalty points will be brought in, and how do people feel on that? Do you agree with Liam and feel for those who abuse disabled bays in this particular county uh, when they park there and they sh- don't have a right to park there that they should be issued with penalty points? Uh, would you like to see what type or how many penalty points would you like to see? If you anything in mind, would it be three penalty points, five penalty points, or or, or would you be happy with a simple introduction? I, I the low I'd say start off the low yeah, and then and then see if if there's repeat offenders and that type of thing. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, so we have three penalty points for illegal parking around 
in, in different areas. So yeah. maybe that could be brought in as part of it. If you park in there, that's an illegal parking or dangerous parking, you know. Well, we'll see what happens uh, with this for the moment, Liam. Uh, thanks for joining us on the line. That is Fine Gael councillor from the Carrigaline area, Liam O'Connor. Your views on that? 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 Body worn, body cameras worn by Gardaí would breach privacy rights according to Ireland's human rights watchdog. The Irish Council of Civil Liberties claims mass surveillance can cause big problems. Darren Ansborough from the Irish Council for Civil Liberties joins me on this. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning, John Paul. Uh, first of all, and thanks for joining us this morning. First of all, the concerns you mentioned there and about breaching policy, what are and outline those concerns? Yes, well, um, we're very concerned having done um, a significant amount of research on the effect of body-worn cameras in other uh, jurisdictions where they've already been rolled out, that they're not actually having the impact um, that, that they were promised to have, um, and which means that there's no real justification for the infringement on our rights, including our right to privacy. And we're very concerned that they do pose quite a significant risk to our right to privacy because of uh, the fact that they're it's they're being proposed for um, every member of Angarda Siakona, um, which means that they'll be wearing um, cameras on their uniforms, which means they'll be capturing people's um, everyday activities at close range, um, much more close range than CCTV, for example. Um, they'll, they'll be able to capture faces, they'll be able to capture people walking along the streets, and they'll also be able to capture audio, which means they'll be able to capture what people are saying. And we're very concerned that when you're you know, walking down the ordinary streets of our country, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be constantly under surveillance or watched if there's no real justification for it and that's our real concern is that there's no good conclusive evidence in other jurisdictions that body-worn cameras are having a positive impact on policing outcomes. But at the moment we have CCTV in many of our towns and cities and the towns which have CCTV many people welcome that and feel well if I was going to be mugged or if something happened to me at least everything is captured on CCTV. I suppose the thing that we are coming finding here on our calls and texts this morning is that people are saying to us if you've nothing to hide why are people worried? Well you know we we really um, would turn that on its head and say if I've done nothing wrong why am I being watched? You know, I yeah. mean, there's just there doesn't seem to be any good reason. If I'm an ordinary person of no interest to, to the guards, why should to, to the guard these? Sorry, should, why should um, members of the guard the have the right to capture what I'm doing if I'm just going about my everyday business doing nothing wrong? Um, and and the reality is, what's going to happen is, um, you know, people going about their ordinary lives are being captured on film. This data is being uh, is going to be captured. It's going to be stored. We, it could it's it's it could be subject to abuse, you know, we, it might not be protected properly. Um, and we think the best way to protect our, ourselves and our privacy is, is not, to, not to have our data captured at, at all. Do you um, feel it would breach data protection and GTPR and all these new rules that are coming in? And if so, what type of breach could that be? I mean, what would be on those cameras that could breach someone's uh, privacy, as you put it, if it's talking to someone outside a shop or, or walking on the street or getting in their face? What, what do you consider a breach? 
Well, firstly, um, one of the, the, the aspects of data protection rights is the fact that you have to um, consent to the fact that, that your, your, your data is being gathered. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we, we, we need to think about this from the fact that it's a general rollout that's being proposed, which means every single citizen would, you know, would somehow have to, to consent and we'd have the right to actually ask um, uh, the Gardaí to, to, to know if they are, they have captured our data. We have, uh, there's a thing called a, a subject access request, which means that we all can access uh, had the right to access that data and really if you think about it from um, from from an administrative perspective like are you know are, are the Gardaí actually going to be able to deal with that amount of requests it just seems a, a hugely unnecessary gathering of data that's going to be not only uh, a huge administrative burden for them to comply with data protection rights but hugely costly as well and um, from from a taxpayers perspective and we don't think that that's that's actually um, a reasonable uh, um, a reasonable uh, cost to the taxpayer if there's no actual tangible benefits. And that's our real concern, is that we're being told that gathering this data will lead to better accountability for the police or or gather better evidence for, for criminal prosecutions. But when we're looking at the other jurisdictions where studies, expansive studies have been done, um, what we're finding is that there's actually no good conclusive evidence that, that these body-worn cameras are leading to better accountability or are leading to higher prosecutions in, in court. So there's actually, there doesn't seem to be any good reason to introduce them um, and they come at a huge cost, not only to the taxpayer, but to our rights. And yeah, and you're right, there is a lot of other countries that use these and if that is the figures you're getting in the research, uh, there is a concern then for the money that will be spent on those. But then there's an, another few examples. Uh, for, for example, if you're on a night out and a lot of people will say if there was only a camera there, maybe these people would have been caught or something could have been done. You could say the same for robberies or if someone is stealing something out of somebody's handbag or something on a street, which sometimes thankfully can be caught on CCTV. But just go back to the incident of a fight for the moment. If a fight breaks out, on a busy street on a weekend night and the Gardaí usually anyhow can be patrolling some streets in our cities and towns probably more cities than towns at this stage but isn't it better if you are standing outside a bar for example some guy or girl comes up tries to attack you a Garda is across the way comes over sees it happening it records this on the camera it's recording automatically they get good images of the people who are trying to attack you that then you would hope can be used in evidence if someone was taking a case. At least if the person ran away, they would be able to track them down and arrest them because they have it in camera. Uh, or would it be a fact, as you're saying, that, yeah, they might find them, but they can't actually uh, use the evidence in court? Well, I think there's, there's two things to be said there. You know, once a Garda is present, I mean, firstly, they're not, you know, they're not sort of a, a, a magic um, criminal evidence tool because essentially, you know, the, the members of the Gardaí already have, you know, significant powers to deal with crime. So, you know, if you have a, a Garda arrive at a scene like that, you know, they're already going to be a, a witness to a crime. They have the power to arrest that person. They have the power to use force against that person. Um, and really, if, if you're talking about the Garda being present at that moment, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge amount in their favour to actually deal with the, that crime anyway. Yeah, um, but if, you, so if it goes so to a court situation... But if it goes right, to a court situation, you yeah. show a video in court if you can do that and it would highlight exactly what happened on the night and it will really highlight how bad the incident was and show up the attackers for who they are. Right. Well, I mean, 
first of all, I would say, you know, without the body-worn camera, you still have the guard there giving evidence, and that evidence is, all, is always given due weight in court. You already have an evidence-gathering tool if you have the, pre- the guard present anyway. But secondly, what we're seeing is the, the actual cameras themselves, they're never going to actually show the whole picture. They're very limited in range. They're, it, they're, they're going to be facing one angle. You know, it might not capture what's happening behind the guard or beside the guard. So it's only one extra piece of evidence. It's not the kind of completely accurate, complete picture, um, completely unambiguous sort of evidence gathering tool that that the government is telling us it is and the third point is that what we are seeing in other countries is that NGOs like ourselves for example uh, one is called Big Brother Watch over in the UK they've actually asked the prosecution service there for data to to, to find out to what extent these body worn cameras are actually contributing to better prosecutions and I I know that sort of instinctively you would think they they must be be, you know increasing prosecutions but actually what they're finding is that that they're not I mean if you don't if the you know if the police officers themselves can't get a a conviction based on, on what they've seen and the evidence they're giving it's unlikely that what's captured by the camera actually does and that's what we're finding in the research is that nobody is saying these are leading to better prosecutions and and the UK have had them for years now um, America has had them for years as well and the evidence just isn't there to prove that they are actually contributing to better criminal justice outcomes And what about protection then for the Gardaí if you have a situation whereby again I'll use the fight situation if there is some guy beating the head off some fella a guard that comes over he then starts and the guard hits the guard the guard gets knocked out or something at least with the body camera that person who caused the incident and who's fighting is captured their evidence is there their face is there they're seen in action uh, surely that's protection for our law well, I mean, this is kind of the same point because essentially, you know, this is what what people thought initially. So, for example, out in, uh, you know, you know, this this has been used as, as as a justification in other jurisdictions as well. Yeah, but and, and a lot of that, that is, G- is GTPR. But why are we protecting the criminal? Sorry, sorry, I didn't hear that question. Why are we protecting the criminal? A lot of it is again due to data protection. But if some guy is there hitting somebody on the street and then hits a guard, surely it's better that someone has a camera recording that, and that camera should be the guardie. Well, I don't think that, you know, anyone is suggesting we're, we're protecting criminals. I mean, what our concern is, is, is protecting ordinary people who are doing nothing wrong. And, and when, you, when you have a piece of technology that poses a risk to everybody's rights, you have to do a just a balancing act and you have to say, where's the evidence, where's the proof that these are actually doing good, you know, and what we're saying is that we've been doing research, there's something like 70 studies out uh, being done in other jurisdictions and none of them have come up with conclusive evidence saying that this actually does lead to protecting um, the police officers. So for example, just uh, just in 2017, a, a huge study was done on 2,000 police officers in Washington, D.C. And what they did was they analysed whether or not there was more or less use of force when a police officer was wearing a body-worn camera, both by the the police officer themselves, but also by members of the public against police officers. Um, And what they found was actually wearing the body-worn camera didn't affect the behaviour of of either the police officer or members of the public, which means that it doesn't actually play the protective role that we're told it does. And with regards to protests, uh, there is a concern from people, though, when we talk about body cameras on the Guardi or any police force across Europe, uh, that if there's a protest, and it could be a silent protest or it, could, it might get violent, uh, people's faces will be identified and a lot of people go along to these protests, but they don't want to be identified. They just want to highlight oh, the passion they have for whatever they're highlighting. Uh, could that be something uh, that many are fearful of then, that evidence from those cameras could be used and that would highlight what you're saying there about the protection? Well, I mean, well, our, our big concern around around that is that, you know, our ordinary people, you know, in Ireland or, or elsewhere, 
you know, they, when they want to express their views about something, they do gather in protest, and they go, they want they want the government to see how many people are supporting this this um, this action or this view or whatever. But they don't necessarily want their image captured and potentially stored and then used by the Gardaí, um, which is happening in other jurisdictions. Sometimes people are you know people who are just completely innocent, doing nothing wrong, just literally expressing their view, which is their right in a democracy. Um, is are their images are being captured and sometimes then later they're being targeted for surveillance, they're put on watch lists, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, so our view is that, you know, if that's going to be happening and people start being afraid that that will happen, they'll stop going to protests, which is a, a huge impact on, on their rights to participate in our democracy. So really, we, we have to make sure we're not sleepwalking into the kind of surveillance society that we're seeing uh, elsewhere, whether it's Hong Kong or, or even in the UK, where they've started suggesting the introduction of facial recognition technology attached to these body-worn cameras, which is a huge, huge um, risk to, to, our, to our right to privacy. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about the, the right to feel free on the streets of our country and not be constantly watched if you're doing nothing wrong. So in our view, the the positive out, uh, um, outcomes of these body-worn cameras haven't been proven and the risk to our rights is simply just too great and we, we're really opposed to their rollout. So uh, the political will seems to be there to bring these cameras in and roll them out. Are you going to try and prevent this due to all those that- concerns you've outlined? That's correct. I mean, our main concern is that the 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 the, the research or sort of the recommendation to introduce these body worn cameras seemed to, to be based on outdated research, on research that was done, you know, a number of years ago when when body worn cameras were just beginning to be rolled out. But when you look at the more recent research, the new evidence, it's showing that actually they're just not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and therefore the cost to our rights and to the taxpayer simply can't be justified. So we're going to ask the government to, to reconsider their, their, their rollout of these body-worn cameras and, and essentially prioritise our rights. Well, we'll wait and see what happens on that, Darren. You're aligned to uh, the, the reasons for that anyhow uh, very well. So we'll, we'll wait and see what the political establishment and indeed the government will decide on this for the moment. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Darren Ansborough there uh, joining us from the Irish Council for Civil, Civil Liberties. Uh, your view on that? Do you agree uh, with the Darren and the view and the evidence and the data protection uh, that you mentioned there amongst a lot of other things? Or do you feel like a lot of our listeners who say if you've nothing to hide, why indeed are you worried about your face? being stored in a particular database by the Gardaí. Uh, many of our callers are saying they would prefer the Gardaí to have the cameras so when something happens there's evidence of it. But your view, do you think it's wrong then that for protests and other uh, of the like that your images and maybe audio is being stored by the Gardaí? Let us know 1850-333-103 text or WhatsApp 86 103 Good morning to you. Bernie takes your calls and comments at 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp WhatsApp 0862103103. Earlier on the show, we spoke with Carrigaline Councillor Liam O'Connor, and this is where he wants to and wishes, anyhow, for penalty points to be introduced for the wrongful use of disabled bays. It's happening a lot, as we know, in Cork towns. Abled body persons taking those particular spaces for those who need it most. It's happening in the majority of towns, but some towns that don't have traffic wardens, uh, it's where it seems at the moment, anyway, anyhow, where it's worst hit. Uh, so, on that, a number of people have been in contact, many of them 
them agree uh, with Liam that something needs to be done and are frustrated when they see people taking disabled parking bays for those who need it. Uh, Christine in the city says, I think that able bodied people should get points and indeed fined as well for using disabled parking bays. Fair is fair, says Christine. While someone on WhatsApp saying it's really unbelievable that drivers feel they are entitled to park in a disabled bay without a badge. However, it's really worse when drivers with badges park in these bays in the absence of the disabled family member. They are equally at fault and should be penalised says that particular person on WhatsApp while Pat says how about all the shops closed down and how about all these shop closures we're having at the moment. All of these are happening because of the results of all these laws and Pat says him that's Liam and his gang are closing down the country uh, says Pat and Tech so I presume Pat you disagree with Liam's suggestions of, of bringing in and introducing penalty points for those who decide to abuse the disabled parking base on that not too sure if you agree with people using them uh, who don't need to use them or not but you're not in favour anyhow of the penalty points uh, for disabled parking base thank you for your text Pat on 0862103103 call Bernie 1850 we have a lot of calls this morning on the issue of traffic and this is following yesterday and it's happening more and more across the city but yesterday an accident just after 3 o'clock in the Jack Lynch tunnel caused delays across the south link forcing people to take alternative routes so those routes built up then in the city and suburbs and people trying to get from one part of the city to a suburb and trying to get from the city to the county and the county to the city were facing huge delays. We've got tweets yesterday evening from people who were in their cars for nearly two hours. Simon on our breakfast show telling us that he was in a shopping centre car park. It took him 40 minutes to get out of that particular car park yesterday all due to these accidents that are taking place on this particular stretch of road on the South Link. When one accident happens there the whole city goes into gridlock and then that has as an effect on areas near the city and then actually it goes out to county areas and then you have people who are arriving home late. We had a number of people onto us who missed uh, collecting their uh, children from the childminder, missed appointments, uh, missed uh, gyms and, and all that kind of stuff because they were late getting home when they were simply sitting in their car and not moving. Tim in Bandon and WhatsApp says people who cause accidents should receive penalty points on their licence and be made receipt. A driving test, the calibre of driving on our roads is horrendous. The biggest problem is drivers not getting into the correct lane in time and cutting across when there's no room for them to do so. I've seen it numerous times between the Kinsale Road roundabout and Mahim Point, people cutting across traffic to get to the Douglas or Carragher Line slip roads, says Tim in Bandon on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And on that, uh, numerous calls in from people who were in that situation last night, stuck in traffic. Here's a sample of those tweets and calls. First of all, Leanne saying, took me an hour to get from the airport business park to the Kinsale roundabout yesterday evening. Stephen says it took me an hour and a half to get from the Sarsfield Road roundabout home to Carrick Tool. Anthony says, once there's a crash on the link, it slows down everything and the city stops. And then, Anthony says, the North Ring follows. There was delays uh, for me heading to Blarney.
Kilkenny yesterday evening and then on to Mallow uh, huge delays as well and I'll get the delays in Mallow shortly also uh, Donald says if people who crashed could move their cars into their hard shoulder then that would free up traffic the laws on this need to change because currently of course we all know if there is a crash you're advised to stay where you are and where it happens until the guardie come and then they will tell you to move on because if anything was to happen after that uh, well it's it's your word of what actually happened without the evidence being there for the guardie to see Derek says we just don't have the infrastructure in Cork for the way the city is being built and the way the city is going they should concentrate on building the roads first and then follow that up with all these high rise that they are planning where is everybody going to go uh, Judy saying no public transport that is the reason why we only have buses here in Cork and if there's a traffic jam the buses are going to get caught in the traffic and then you have people waiting for the buses so that's why people drive to get to work on time and Neve who was very frustrated yesterday evening and at work today but she says uh, took her one hour and 55 minutes to get from Douglas to Inish Shannon yesterday evening and that was her experience your calls and comments are welcome on that if you were caught up on the traffic yesterday 1850 or indeed you could send us a private message on Facebook to at C103 Cork a lot of scam calls doing the rounds our phone our work phone here for the Cork Today show went off twice last night and two numbers came up one was an 026 number and one was an 023 number but no they were not local numbers because you might think 023 being the abandoned clinic area, 026 being the McCroom area know all the numbers after it were way too long for calls from that particular area uh, they were not, if you looked at the numbers fast you might think that's a local number but they were scam calls, so we let the phones ring out uh, for those scam calls that came to that particular mobile yesterday but we weren't the only ones getting those calls and this is a new type of, of call, Eileen uh, this morning got a call to her landline and it says that this is an emergency call, 600 euro has been taken from your account, the caller sounded Irish said Eileen but when she realised Eileen was not falling for it she just hung up uh, but also Aidan in Clonakilty got a phone call from uh, online banking they claimed this morning and they told him exactly the same story about the 600 euro taken from his account Aidan called the Gardee in Clonakilty and they said they had several other people uh, who've gone on to him with the same calls so calls doing the round for those particular scam calls if you get one saying it's an emergency and there's been 600 euros taken out of your account it's a scam hang up your bank won't contact you that way anyway or won't look for any details uh, from you over email or indeed especially over the phone or indeed on a mobile phone either and going back to the issue earlier and this was to do uh, with the asylum seekers uh, who were due to be going to Ackle now because of a vigil being held there they're not going to Ackle uh, a pattern for my says today all the media are talking about the 13 vulnerable women asylum seekers that were due to be put on Ackle Island but to be fair to the people on the island those 13 women did not show up on the news until yesterday the residents were led to believe that there will be over 30 asylum seekers at that particular unit in Ackle Island says Pat in Fermoy. and on the issue we spoke about on body cameras and this is why the Irish Council for Civil Liberties feel the body cameras worn by Gardaí would breach privacy rights they outlined why they would breach it and we put it to them about the various instances of 
nighttime Garda policing whereby Garda are getting attacked and the fact that if you have evidence from a camera you can see someone attacking somebody else and then that person going for the Garda if anything happens. Anyhow, they outline their reasons there, your views on that. John and Canturk says at the moment uh, there is no CCTV working in some Cork towns that of course due to the new data protection laws and we were well aware of that. Middleton, one of those of course we discussed on the programme. Uh, John says it costs a lot of money to install and now these particular cameras can't be used what is wrong with our country what is our country coming to says John in Canturk while John Joe in Newmarket says people are always complaining about anti-social behaviour so then they put up CCTV and then they complain about CCTV you just can't please anyone says John Joe in Newmarket on WhatsApp a person says a body cameras for Gardaí are badly needed what's the problem if you're doing nothing wrong uh, that lady from Civil Liberties seems to want to protect criminals which we put to her but she's still insisting they're not and it's to do with the data protection for citizens uh, thank you for your WhatsApp Christine says she agrees with Civil Liberties if the cameras are not improving things then why spend money on them when they are in invading the privacy of the average citizens. While John O'Donovan in the city says nearly 800 Gardaí were assaulted last year, why are these civil liberties people opposed to the cameras? If you go on a bus, you were on a camera and on the street, cameras and shop have cameras. So the Gardaí and the public need to be protected. Uh, thank you, John, uh, for your call to Bernie and 1850 Now, uh, a lot of, uh, we're speaking of traffic there across the uh, South Link and affecting the city suburbs and indeed people late uh, travelling to the county home yesterday a lot of traffic in Mallow as well building up and one a person on WhatsApp is saying could you please let me know when Mallow Bridge is opening of course Mallow Bridge northbound lane closed at the moment to facilitate those works that are going on there all to do with the boardwalk the bridge is opening on Monday the 4th of November and the council ensures us that the bridge will be opened in time before the school traffic hits uh, on a Monday morning. So the bridge uh, due to open anyhow on this coming Monday 4th of November and the council promised us anyhow that it will be opened uh, before the school uh, rush traffic hits uh, that area of Mallow on Monday morning. Uh, of course uh, at the moment anybody commuting into Mallow will realise there is delays uh, from the Killarney side and indeed uh, from the Limerick side and also from the Cork City side I was at um, Dana Super Value during the week and leaving there to go back onto the uh, the main Cork to Mallow Road and the amount of traffic was backed up well beyond uh, the Drumahan exit uh, nearly as far as Morn Abbey uh, at one stage on one of the days it was so bad uh, when uh, leaving the studios here in Mallow and also uh, when I was coming from a different road uh, huge delays there and then at Rathduff you have delays also because of just uh, people are slowing down uh, entering Rathaduff as they have to do uh, so apart from the people who actually get out of the city and then they commute to Mallow as Mallow now becoming a, a commuter town fast they're then hit with these delays uh, in Mallow uh, at Rathaduff and also because of the bridge closing Mallow long delays uh, beyond the Drummerhand Junction it does move but it moves slowly but the good news hopefully anyhow uh, the bridge northbound will open on Monday and that should relieve the traffic congestion those in Mallow are feeling uh, a lot more calls and comments coming in we'll get back to those across the show 1850-333-103 to Bernie keep your calls coming or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 a lot of talk about Brexit uh, but where are things going and what is happening to those MEPs that everybody has elected but they can't go to Europe because they have to wait until the Brits leave Europe and until they leave Europe well then what happens to those MEPs because they have to wait for the UK MEPs to leave we'll discuss that next C103 Jobs 
And on today's job spot, we have opportunities for an experienced cleaner wanted for general house cleaning duties in the Fermoy area, three hours every second week. References and your own transport is essential. Contact 87 Brookfield Care Centre and Liam Lara near Watergrass Hill have vacancies for kitchen assistant staff and healthcare assistants. Submit your CV by email to hr at brookfieldcc.ie. And Parky Cueve Stadium, they're holding open interviews for casual hospitality positions on November the 6th from 5 to 8 pm. Positions include bartenders, plate waiters, and hospitality supervisors. Please take a copy of your CV, your bank details, and a passport when you are attending. You'll find these jobs and a lot more now online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Brexit extensions is leaving many elected MEPs in limbo. Brexit was due to take place yesterday, but now is extended to the 31st of January 2020. And as talks are ongoing, the UK is now to hold an election on the 12th of December. So one of those elected MEPs who was in the waiting for Brexit to actually happen is Deirdre Clune for Ireland South and she joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Yeah, hi, good morning. Good and thanks for joining you? us. I'm fine, thanks. Um, you took the final seat, of course, for Ireland South at the uh-huh. election earlier in May. But because the UK haven't left yet, you can't go to Europe. So, I mean, are you working on European matters or, or what are you doing at the moment um, until the UK you, leave? Well, you're right. That's exactly it. I can't go to Europe um, until such time as they leave. Um, I'm... I'm not a member of the European Parliament just until they leave because there's 751 members elected and uh, they're operating or they're do- carrying out their parliamentary duties at present. Um, so I'm not, what I'm doing is just watching, keeping a watching eye on it and following the briefs and following what's happening in the Parliament. And as of today, 1st November, there's new commissioners in place. So um, that'll mean a change and there'll be more, more work coming to the Parliament from that. So um, just following keeping a watching brief, uh, but have no function in that parliament at such time as the UK MEPs leave, if they leave. <laughs> so it must, be, it must be very frustrating for you watching everything, still reading over items, but not able to participate because you were so used to doing that. Yeah, um, it is frustrating, but I mean, what can, it's, it's one, one, another one of these situations that have been thrown up by Brexit. Um, it's unprecedented and it wasn't expected to happen, but it did. And I suppose um, just watching the progress, they were due to leave last March and then they didn't. So they participated in the election. And are you getting paid then for, for, for the time until you go to Europe? No, not, I'm not getting paid. Well, well, there is a difference. Sorry, I'm not getting paid um, as, as a, somebody, as, as an MEP due to take up a seat in the parliament. I am, there is an, an, an allowance that they pay to MEPs who are not elected who didn't stand in election because of transition allowance. So I am getting that, but that's nothing to do with um, the, the, this parliament as such. It's, it's like the, the other, it's, I think probably seven, either MEPs who didn't stand who weren't elected in, in, in Ireland and they all get, get the same allowance. So now how long does that allowance go on six for? Six months. Six months, okay. And, and is that just to, to allow them to settle back into it's the transition life. allowance is what yeah. it's called, yeah. I presume it's there to, um, uh, that's the attention to settle back, to look around, to... Um, do something else or to whatever to to to, to, to yeah to prepare for for other employment or whatever people people may want to do. And I presume there is more MEPs across Europe, the same as yourself, that are there just are. waiting for the UK to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are twenty seven, twenty seven MEPs across various oh, across the spectrum across different countries, um, and uh, they're in the same position. 
And yeah. as you watch and Brexit in and, and your counterparts there watch Brexit, either they're waiting to go to the EU or they're within the EU. I mean, it's changing every day. It nearly went through, a deal nearly went through, but the DUP yeah. and others prevented that then in the end. Uh, and also the extension now has been granted, so it will go on for another number of months until the end of January. We also now could have a new Prime Minister in the UK who could have a very different view than what Boris Johnson uh, has. So could you see another extension because because a general election um, in the UK could throw everything up. It could, yeah. We, we're having a general election situation now, and who knows, 12th of December, six weeks is a long time. We saw the last election in the UK. Uh, Theresa May went in with a very strong majority, and she came out of that election um, dependent on the well, support of the DUP. She did a minority government, so anything can happen in a campaign. But um, you know, just have to, to look at it and see what comes up from that. I mean, it, what goes up from that? I think from my point, from my point of view, from the an Irish point of view particularly, is that a hard or a no deal Brexit has now that time has passed, and we're not going to be in that situation. So we have to take that as a positive. Um, but nonetheless, there is. I mean, it, there is frustration as well, not just from the MEPs, but from, from a European point of view and, and other heads of state. You know that this can't go on forever. And and on one hand, you have to have patience with them and let them work it out what their what their what their deal is going to be but at the other side of them uh, it's dominating it's taking a lot of energy and time from uh, european heads of state from the commissioners uh, from the parliament itself that could be spent on other things so um, there's, yeah there's that, that, that is there. one good highlighting there but that particular point uh, people across europe i'm sure are doing nothing else only discussing trying to sort that i know people in the uk whether they vote or remain or, or to leave are now so frustrated they just want something to happen because they're sick yeah. to the teeth of what's going on at the moment and a lot of people on the ground in the uk feel their health their education services are suffering because there's so much effort being put into brexit do you think there's a lot of people though within the uk government have a lot to answer for i mean there was a number of deals on the table they were never actually accepted some would say they were a good deal for the UK uh, some would say maybe that they were not from a, from a UK point of view but regarding the North you mentioned the DUP there and they have very strong views and they're entitled to those views yeah, that they absolutely. want the North mm-hmm. to be the same as the rest of the UK and be within the kingdom as they say and no matter what Boris Johnson or whoever throws at them they will always come back because they feel that they should be part of the UK, like Scotland, like Wales. But then you'd speak to people in the North and some of them say, well, the majority of people here voted for Remain, so why can't we have what they're proposing in London? Yeah, well, the majority did vote for Remain in the North and I suppose the DUP are just one party. Um, but the real, they're just one party and they don't represent all of the votes the nonetheless. But I do you feel parties like, like the DUP are actually holding everything up and, and they are to blame? No, they're not. They're, I mean, they're true to their position, and they stood to the electorate, and they, they're strong. They are unionists, and and that's clear, and that's fair enough, and that's what they. That's their election platform, and it always has been. Um, I would think that the the deal that's on on the table now is very good for the north and for business in the north as well. But um, that's their view, and and they're entitled to that view. But there are others who have a different view, and um, they'll be voting and they'll be exercising that um, their prerogative in in this election coming. So so we'll see where that comes from. But, um, you know, the, we've, we've all learned, we've all had a lesson in the last uh, two, three years on the Good Friday Agreement and, and what it means. And it's still, it, I mean, that is the essence of what, what has been trying, what we are trying to protect, whether it's in this current deal or the previous deal that Theresa, made, Theresa May made uh, with the European Union to protect that Good Friday Agreement and the DUP, uh, Sinn Féin, UUP, Alliance, whoever, or Independent, whoever's representing um, in the North, they have to um, 
recognise that the Good Friday Agreement is there and it has to be adhered to and has to be protected. And does that frustrate a lot of people then uh, when you hear a lot of talk about the Irish border, especially when you see certain commentators mm. on social media blaming Ireland for Brexit because of the border that basically the UK put into Ireland and they're blaming the Good Friday Agreement without actually knowing what it stands for. I mean, people here only want peace on the island, both north and south, but that doesn't seem to uh, be understood uh, for a lot of high-profile politicians. So yeah, I'm surprised that yeah. in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's easy to blame the Irish. It's not I mean, what the Irish government are doing, the Irish state are protecting that Good Friday Agreement. And the UK government um, are obliged to do that too. And some are, in fairness, over there. Some do understand. Oh, they absolutely are. But and some just don't. Why. It's going over their head and they don't understand the history between both countries. Well, there's a lot of commentary about that. They don't understand history. But I think even if you look at the recent agreements that uh, Boris Johnson made with the European Union, it does uh, recognise that... Um, that there is to be that that there should be no border on the island of Ireland in order to protect peace and to 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 be to put structures in place that are in line with, with the Good Friday Agreement. So that has been recognised now, um, and, and in fact that bill and that that second stage of that bill was supported by the UK Parliament, which was a positive. That was just um, two weeks ago. That was the first time that they had supported uh, a position. And uh, on, on nonetheless, he withdrew the um, legislation, and we're not going forward. But still, it was a str- it was a position, and I think that was that was positive in recognising that. Yeah, know, that that was one of the, the big positive. We can't walk away from the island of Ireland, from Ireland, or from the European Union without dealing with this Good Friday Agreement and protecting it. A lot of fear now following the general election in the UK that you get a new Prime Minister there's a number of of those in, in, in the frame to run for the election uh, Nigel Farage uh, probably one of those and he has his own radio show on a London based radio station he was interviewing uh, the President of the US yeah. Donald Trump uh, yesterday on various things but a lot of people are fearful that with someone who wants and, and wants Brexit to go I don't think they would let it happen anyhow but could they crash out could the UK crash out if, if you have someone there who's going, OK, we've tried everything, it's not working, no one will would agree to anything, let's just go. But the EU, do you think the EU would ever let that happen and let them crash out? They wouldn't want to let that happen, but at the same time, um, if it's, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't let that happen. I mean, it's a choice for the, for the UK government and the people of the United Kingdom to crash out. But I just, the point, but the point you just made that they did, that, that part of the parliament that has, that has now devolved, has, or that has now been dissolved, did accept two weeks ago a position uh, in principle, of the um, the proposal that Boris Johnson had agreed with uh, the European Union that there would be a customs union on the island of Ireland, and that the north and there would be um, and that the north would be part of the UK customs union as well. That's and w- when the UK actually leaves, then I mean, f- for yourself and the other MEPs in Europe who were elected who can't go to Europe, what do you do? Do you, do you actually return straight away after the next elective day yeah. if it goes on the uh, of the thirty first of January, Brexit's done and dusted, that the UK leave? Do you then go to Europe in February, or must you wait a certain period until the UK MEPs slowly leave? Well, I haven't any guidance on it, but I would say you're on immediately the first, second, first of February. Straight away. Okay. Because it's like if you're elected, when you are elected in, 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 in Ireland South, you're elected in the Count Centre in Nemo Rangers on a Tuesday night, you can go to the European Parliament the next day and um, sign on and get your credentials and be, be part of the ongoings there. So I think and it'll be, very, it'll be, in, in, it'll be um, seamless, you know. One and for yourself, and one group in. what do you do though in the meantime now? What time do you do? In the meantime, you just wait and patiently and watch it. And um, uh, well, for instance, I never thought I'd be not, not wishing for Brexit. I mean, in the end of the day, I think it would have been better if they don't leave at all. But it's gone on so long now. I think there's been an ex- it is an acceptance from all sides, sides that they are going to leave, and uh, just a matter of how they're going to do that.
and we hope that it will be in a in as uh, what the, the original term we had was as close as possible to what we have at the moment with them. Well, the we'll wait and, and, and see. Yeah, it, it got very close. We'll have to see what happens. Um, before we let yeah, you go, uh, you might be aware, as you are a member of Fianna Gael, of course, the Fianna Gael MEP, uh, Maria Bailey, at a big meeting last night in Dunleary okay. and the future of her. A lot of people feel that she should just go at this stage because of the talk of high insurance costs, something you've discussed a lot with us and how Europe are trying to deal with that over the last number of yeah. years. Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, the locals there within the Fianna Gael uh, group in Dunleary uh, haven't given her a vote of confidence and must go to Leave Riker now. Would you rather her just uh, move aside well, uh, especially I mean, with a general yeah, election I mean, coming up in this country he's already adjudicated on, he's already had an investigation and he's removed her from uh, as committee chair mm-hmm. and as chair of the she did another position as well but as a TD but, but not as a TD no no. I mean, and she has been selected I mean the matter now is it's a matter for it's a matter for the national executive to review uh, and they may come back and say well you know we're happy with the ticket or we feel that given the circumstances we're going to change it that would mean deselecting somebody Um I don't know. I, 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 I think, you know, that in my view, she has had her, there has been an inquiry by Finnegale and the outcome was that she was um, taken from a position as, as chair. And she has been selected by the party to run. Nonetheless, none, that, that doesn't take from the fact that in any situation, uh, circumstances can change and people can step down or can be deselected. But in my view, I think that the Taoiseach has had a, an inquiry already into it and he has an investigation and he has given an outcome on that. Do you feel, though, herself, ahead of a general election, that she should not run and decide uh, that she has caused harm to the party and she needs to leave? No, I, do, I think, you know, I think she has been selected. Um, I, I, I mean, but should, should, even though she's been selected, should, should she now, with all the publicity again, and with a general election, I'm sure you, as a Fine Gael, the last thing you want is, is bad press, which you're getting at the moment because of this and the high insurance costs and because of that claim and everything else that happened on the swing. Do, do, do you and think, oh, I know she has, but because she put it in the first place, do you think that now she should step aside because of the way she handled things and it would be damage, damage limitation for Fine Gael in a future election? No, I think that she has been selected. Um, uh, she's a hard, very hard-working TD. Uh, she has been already, the teacher has already had um, a, uh, an investigation of the party has, and there has been an outcome to that. But she shouldn't and go think, on, her, on her own will? She, should, she shouldn't go on her own will, no. I mean, if she's, she's she, I, I don't know, I wasn't at the meeting last night, but from what I've heard in the media and what I've read, uh, she made a, a, a strong case based on her record, and she wasn't alone in that. There was, there was about, two-thirds of the members that voted, well, not two-thirds, a, a, a 60-90, I'm not sure of the breakdown, uh, would support her and believe that she has a, a chance of um, doing well in the election. Not whether she'll OK, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see what know. happens uh, over the we next number of months yeah. on that, as we will with Brexit. Uh, Deirdre, for the moment, thanks for joining us this morning. That is Ireland South MEP in the waiting anyhow to go to Europe. Uh, Deirdre Coon, we'll have to wait and see what happens over the next number of months with regards to Brexit and the UK leaving the EU. Your thoughts on that are welcome. 1850 333 103. Text of WhatsApp 086 2103 103. On the way, we're going to hear about the success, well, of Ireland's most successful rowing club here in Skibbereen and the love affair the whole world had for Paul and Gary O'Donovan. It's all detailed in a new book that's been written by the Southern Star Sports Editor, Kieran McCarthy, and we'll speak with him next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Tim in Yole and a few more on to us. Uh, can you ask Deirdre, is she now in receipt of a salary from the European Union whilst more or less sitting behind uh, on the sideline? We did ask her that at the start of the interview and she's not receiving a salary for being an MEP, but when all MEPs leave, they get a salary for a transition period. So while she's not getting the European uh, union MEP salary she is getting the transition period while she was an MEP until she goes back uh, to Europe that transition p- period payment uh, lasts uh, for six months so while she's not getting the salary of an MEP she is receiving that transition period payment which lasts uh, for six months and we, we did ask her that at the start of the interview Across Cork City and County this is Cork Today on C103 Olympic rowers Gary and Paul O'Donovan may be the face of Irish rowing and skibbering rowing club, but they are just one piece of a larger community in the club. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Almost 100 skibbering rowing athletes have represented Ireland at various regattas over the years and the club founded in 1970 is now one of the most successful in the country. All this and more is detailed in this book by Kieran McCarthy entitled Something in the Water and Kieran joins me now this morning. Good morning to you Kieran. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. First of all, take us back to the start of Skibbering Rowing Club when it formed in the 70s. I mean, they were building up a new club in the area and really the River Island, that was their playground. It was. You go back, right back to the start of the 70s. It was 1970 when the club was formed. and It was it, it was it was three three West Cork men. You had Richard Hosford from Skibbering, you had Danny Murphy and you had Donny Fitzgerald. And they were... There were three men that became friends, kind of, and they, they weren't childhood friends, but they became friends through to one another. And uh, Danny Murphy was the kind of common denominator there. And it was actually it was one Sunday evening in Skibbereen in the summer of 1970. The three lads just hatched a plot, hatched a kind of a, a madcap idea, you could say, to kind of start their own club in Skibbereen. And that's actually how it did start. Um, later that evening, they headed off down to Union Hall and they purchased their first boat. Um, and it was a boat that was worse for wear, but that's 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 how the club started, and and it built from there, like it literally built from from the the the, the idea of these three men, these three local men who had a vision, and they wanted their own club in in Skibreen. Like I said, there, JP, they have the River Island, and uh, I suppose 
the role of the island can't be underestimated or played down in this because it's a fantastic playground for the rowers. Um, for the clubhouses now, it sits right on the banks of, of the island and they have this river to themselves um, from Skibreen Town right down to where it kind of kisses the Atlantic Ocean. So um, they have a long stretch there of twists and turns, different currents. It's, it's wide, it's narrow. So it's, it's the perfect playground and the perfect kind of um, nursery for rowers. And what they achieved then over the years, I'm sure back in the 70s, they didn't think that had the success. They have a roll through the years and the club's biggest achievements in Rio. But there was a lot of prep that was undertaken for that before any of the guys got to Rio. It is, yeah, because like you said earlier there, Gary and Paul are one part of the jigsaw and they wouldn't have um, achieved what they have and they are still achieving an awful lot. Um, but they wouldn't have achieved that without all the work that went the 45, 46 years before before Rio. Um, go right back to 1975, Nuala Lupton was the Skibbereen's first ever international oars person and she rode at the 1975 World Championships and she was a Skibbereen rower in a boat with three commercial ladies. So um, that was fantastic. That started to put Skibbereen rowing on the map. We threw into the 80s and Dominic Casey, we all know him as the coach now. He's the He's the wrong Ireland lightweight means uh, the, the wrong Ireland lightweight coach. But before he coached, he rode two, and he was a top class scholar. He was um, he won eight national titles in in the 1980s, five in a single and three in a double with Lara Collins. And so the club was building through the years. JP kind of um, these top class roars were coming through. The the club was churning out these really talented oars people, and that kept going right through the 80s, 90s, and into the noughties. You mentioned Nuala Lupton there and others through the 80s and into the 90s and I suppose with Paul and Gary with the advancement in technology we had media outlets who were able to transmit the pictures back as soon as things happened uh, from Rio to us here in Ireland especially the interviews and I think that's where the love came for Skibbering Rowing Club for everybody outside the area we all knew those involved we all knew the local rowers and interviewed them here on local media but the world got to see the humour of West Cork and of Paul and Gary and that that's what made them popular and also uh, Ireland proud of them. You're 100% right. I think like Skibbering Rowing Club was obviously going since 1970 but it was 2016 in the Rio Olympics that suddenly the whole nation kind of woke up to Jesus, like there's something really special going on down there in Skibbering Rowing Club in West Cork and when you think about it, it's this rural country rowing club kind of um, and it's achieved more than any other rowing club in the country and um, this club has put Irish rowing on the map. Gary and Paul are internationally known. Um, uh, it's just—it's a fantastic success story, and it, it's because of all the hard work of of everyone who's involved in the club. And if you remember, too, they're all volunteers. They do it because they love the sport and they love being involved, and they've all worked in, incredibly hard. And all their hard work culminated in Gary and Paul becoming the first ever Irish sports people to win an Olympic rowing medal for Ireland, which was kind of which topped everything that, that had ever gone before. And um, it did transform Irish rowing because you can see now num- numbers are up in, in Irish rowing. And Gary and Paul, it was their, their characters and personalities as well as athletes. And it was very infectious, their interviews at the time. And they just kind of, I think they grabbed the, the attention and the heart of the nation. And they haven't let it go since. And 
So again, it's a credit to Skibbery and Rowan Club that they're actually there in that position in the first place. That's true, and a credit to all the trainers you mentioned there, working voluntary. Their dad, of course, involved in the club in the early years. And following Rio, it was a fast track for Paul because he then had to go to the World Championships in Rotterdam. It shows really you can never rest in your laurels when it comes to rowing. But it was that evening, Kieran, you were there as well in Skibbereen for the homecoming uh, following Rio and Rotterdam and the crowds. And I know we had a roadshow there uh, for the radio station. We had a plane flying overhead congratulating the guys uh, but people travelled from all over and out of that the lads ended up being on the Late Late Show and the Graham Norton Show in the UK big time outside of rowing pushing the area on the map It is uh, kind of what Skibbering Rowing Club has done for, for West Cork in general it's very hard to put into words um, I was at a, at, a, at a recent West Cork Sports Star Awards JP and you were there as well in the Celtic Ross lately I was talking to Max Coombs who was, who was, Coombs, who was the former president of Skibbering Rugby Club and she was just and um, we were chatting away and she was up the country at some rugby game and someone was asking her where she's from and she said I'm from Skibbereen and they said oh that's where the rowers are from that's from Gary and Paul um, so like they have put Skibbereen on, on the map the, the achievements of Skibbereen rowers and we even mentioned there about the homecoming in in 2016 like that was magical you had 10 or 12,000 people packed into Skibbereen that night it was like the Pope wouldn't attract that to, to Skibbereen. Um, the two boys, Gary and Paul, were like rock stars. The kind of the stage was set for them. The thousands and thousands before them watching reruns of their of their finals where they won the Olympic silver medal. It was incredible. Um, like I'm not sure Skibbereen will ever experience a night like that again. It's probably the proudest night in the town sporting history. Um, like the, the Rowan Club, for all it has achieved, it has done an awful lot of service to Skibbereen Town too, and it really has put the put the town on not just the national map, but I'd have to say the international map as well, because um, Dominic um, Dominic Casey was I was chatting there a couple of weeks ago, and when news that this book was coming out, he was over at, at the World Championships in Austria, and he was even asked over in Austria about the book coming out. So kind of there's interest in Skibbereen Rowan Club right across the globe. Yeah, and there should be as well for what they have achieved. And with all everything we've mentioned there and everything you details in the book about the success, you also write about the next generation and they are training and waiting to follow and continue the success of Skibbereen and follow the likes of Paul, Gary, Nula and many more. Exactly. Yeah. If you go back to Gary and Paul, Gary and Paul were following the likes of Eugene Coakley and Richard Coakley and, and Timmy Harnady, who were three Olympic rowers from Skibbereen. Um, at the 2004 2008 game so Gary and Paul were kind of they were chasing them like this success does breed, breed success so now Gary and Paul have gone to the Olympics and they've achieved what they've achieved and like you said they're the next generation are following the footsteps of Gary and Paul so it is a conveyor belt at the moment and it's brilliant because the club is just turning out kind of talented athlete after talented athlete um, which is fantastic to see and while we have the uh, sporting side of it in the book as well and what goes on and, and the training and the success and the hard work uh, there is stories away from the water within the book here and tell us the story of Violet Hayes and the water bottle and her driving in Hamburg oh, that's one that's one of my, one of my favourite stories um, that goes back to 1999 the world under 23 championships run in Hamburg and the Irish team for those championships consisted of two Skibbereen rowers, John Fuelli and Ross O'Donovan. So that was the entire Irish team. To get the two lads to Hamburg, um, Violet Hayes, in her 1995 silver Toyota Corolla, Violet's from Skibbereen as well, and she's, um, she's involved in the rowing club. Her, her children are rowing. And she was convinced to take off work and to drive the, the two lads from Skibbereen right, right across to Hamburg with their boats strapped to the top of her car 
and Dominic Casey and a couple of more from Skibbereen Rowing Club made a kind of a makeshift kind of cradle for the boats on top of her Corona. So you can just picture this kind of, um, she'd never driven on the continent before, so she hopped into the driver's seat, John Whaley beside her as her navigator, Ross Donovan in the back, and the three of them set off right across Ireland, into England, then into mainland Europe, and right across to Hamburg. Um, it's an incredible story because they landed over there then, and the big nations, the, the Australias and Great Britain and America, they had their team coaches and their big team buses and, and so on, and the best of everything. And next thing, the Irish team rolled up to the to, to the um, to the venue in a silver Toyota Corolla with two boats strapped on top. You, you just <laughs> couldn't make it up, but it just shows that whatever it took to get the job done, Skibbereen, um, people were willing to do. It's a it's a it's, it's a it's a great uh, great example of the lens that that people in the club went to to make sure that the, the roars could roar and that they could kind of show their talents on the, on the international stage. And within that then, the water bottle story, how did that come about? Oh, that's, um, John, when well, he actually got through to the, to the A final and um, he had actually thrown away his own water bottle before the final and he was looking for, for a bottle. So he said to Violet, I, I need a water bottle. So Violet looked around and she, she couldn't find a shop to, to, to sell the water bottle. So she knew that that, uh, that John needed one so she started rooting through a bin that was close by she found a water bottle she went away washed it out put more fresh water in it and ran down to John and gave him the, the, the dirty water bottle John didn't know until this book came out that the water bottle was dirty because Violet had never told him before so I think when John's reading this book he'll learn something new and he'll, he'll think back to that, to, that, to that water bottle that he drank from the 1999 world final in, in Hamburg but, but it, didn't know, it, it didn't know harm at all <laughs> it didn't indeed <laughs> it didn't do any harm to him and we mentioned there earlier about Eugene Coakley and everybody knows if you're coming from a county town or rural area and you have to go to work or college in a big city a lot of effort goes into training and some people do move away from their home place but will still travel up and down whether that's for rugby or GA training and the same for rowing but tell us about Eugene Coakley because he did move to Cork City for college and he fell in love with the nightlife but the his coaches and trainers got a bit annoyed at him over, over that. Eugene was a very talented guy, kind of, kind of junior, junior roar. He was really, they really rated him very highly. But um, he started college up in UCC. And, and the first year went fine. The first year went grand. You know, he was training away. He was up and down. But come the second year then, as with any kind of teenager, college college life, there is distractions. You know, Cork is a, Cork is a pretty good nightlife. You know, back in the day, Garby's and a couple of more places. So um, plenty of distractions for Eugene. So one Friday evening, he landed back down to Skibbereen got off the bus went out to the to the rowing club house and Dominic was there and Eugene just kind of said to Dominic that's it you know kind of I can't do this anymore kind of I'm just I'm just going to pack it up and um, Dominic Dominic didn't entertain it at all kind of literally kind of just no 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 and just walked away but that's but that's Dominic kind of when Dominic he could he knew the talent that Eugene had and he wasn't going to suppose, entertain the prospect of Eugene packing it all in and Within a year or two, Eugene was rolling on the world stage. A couple of years later, he was a sub at the 2000 um, Olympics in Sydney. As far as the 2004, he was in the Irish lightweight four that got to the A final. And Eugene is one of the finest roars that Ireland has ever produced. Um, Tor Nielsen, who's who's on far and wide as probably one of the, the greatest minds when it comes to rowing, rates Eugene very, very highly. He said he's one of the best roars that he's ever ever worked with. Um, skill-wise and mentality-wise. And that mentality, again, comes down to Skibbereen. Um, these roars are coming out of Skibbereen with this kind of hard-working mentality where nothing stops them. because That's because it's kind of 
they learn it from the very, very start. When when, when they start rowing, uh, JP, they're out in, in the water when they're young and they're, they, they, they learn how to race. Everything's a race, you know, kind of. They're very, very competitive and they're hard as nails. They're tough as nails, this lot, kind of. Mentally, they're up there with the very, very best and um, skill-wise, they're up there, up there with the best and it all comes back to this this rowing club down here in Skibbereen. And one man you mentioned there, Dominic Casey, he has a chapter dedicated to him in the book and rightly so, a coach to so many but a real down-to-earth guy. Uh, Dominic is something else, kind of. I met Dominic a hundred times during the process of putting the book together and he always downplays his um, he's influence. He's just kind of, he prefers to stand in the background. He just doesn't like the limelight but so much of this can be attributed to Dominic. Um, like I said earlier, as a rower, he was top class, but as a coach, he's just excelled. Um, it's no coincidence since that he took over as Rowing Ireland's lightweight coach in late 2015 that lightweight rowing in Ireland has excelled. Obviously, Gary and Paul for silver medal. Paul has won four world, world gold medals. Gary's won a world gold medal. Fintan McCarthy has now won a world gold medal. Shane O'Driscoll and Mark O'Donovan won the lightweight pair every race they raced in, at world level in 2017. Denise Walsh, European silver medal in 2017. Um, and Dominic, Dominic's their coach. He just knows what his athletes want, how to work with them. He puts his athletes first. He's an incredible mind. Um, he's like a sponge, JP. He just soaks up knowledge from everywhere. Wherever, wherever he goes, whether it's abroad or at home, he's always talking and he's always learning. And um, He's always picking up equipment too. I remember Marco Donovan telling me a couple of years back, they were either in Italy or Spain on a, on a training camp, and Dominic saw this kind of machine for weights. And next thing, Mark said he just cut up the machine and put it into the back of the trailer and just took it home. And he and he was going to kind of weld it back together when he when he got back to Skibbereen. He's always looking for these these little gains here and there to kind of to give his athletes the very best chance to succeed. Well, he did that, and he proved that, especially over the last number of decades, and big time with the coverage uh, Paul and Gary have got on what they have done for the country and everybody else following on. So uh, even though he's a, a very modest man, he has done a lot for rowing, not only in Skibbereen, I would say, Kieran, but across the country and maybe the world, because as you mentioned earlier, numbers are up everywhere when it comes to the sport of rowing. It's a great read, Kieran, for anybody involved in any sporting club. Uh, stories reminding us of the big moments and also a lot of side, side stories that the public don't get to hear so well done and the book of course you're launching it aren't you tonight in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen yeah there's, there's, a, there's a big launch there so kind of there's an open invitation for anyone to come along to um, a lot of the real life heroes um, in the book will be there on the night which is fantastic um, it's a celebration of Skibbereen Rowing 2 JP and um, the club will be celebrating its 50th year next year um, so uh, it's going to promise it to be a great night and what it is it's a chance too for the different generations of Skibbereen Rowers to come together to, to kind of mingle to kind of share stories and but it's also a chance for I suppose everyone in Skibbereen and West Cork and even beyond to kind of to, to come down and meet the people who have played such a huge part in all our lives in these last couple of years because Skibbereen Rowing Club has given us so many great moments o- over the years and especially the last four or five years towards the advent of social media it's kind of when Gary and Paul or Fintan McCarthy or Denise Walsh whenever they achieve something we have it instantly and you can see just on on social media alone, kind of, I suppose, the reach that Skibbereen Rowing has. Um, so it's a great chance for, for people to come and meet these meet these real heroes, the people that have done such a service to, to, to West Cork and maybe get your picture taken with them, get an autograph off them and just 
have a really, really good evening. And that's tonight at 7 o'clock at the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. Kieran, thank you for joining us today. The book is called Something in the Water on sale in all bookstores by Kieran McCarthy, who, of course, is also the sports editor with the Southern Star newspaper and it's published by Mercier Press. Kieran, best of luck with the book and indeed the launch. Thanks very much, JB. And we've got a few calls in from people in the Bohorbui area asking why there is no water there. We have checked with Irish Water and repairs to a burst of water main. Uh, that is why you have no water there. It is affecting uh, the Bohorbui and surrounding areas and they hope to have water restored to Bohorbui uh, at around 3 o'clock this afternoon. So if you're in that area and you're wondering why you have no water, that is the reason. 3 o'clock you will have your water back in the Bohorbui area. And on issues we were speaking about earlier in the show on this is to do with the introduction of penalty points for those who use and the wrongful use of disabled parking bays, abled body people who decide to park in disabled parking bays for convenience. On that, Tim saying abled body parking on spaces for disabled is basically laziness and shows disregard for the public with disabilities. Tim goes on to say the abled bodied could be disabled when they are old. Equally, parking on bus stops can cause difficulty and also delays, says Tim. That's true. Yeah, outside of the disabled base, people parking legally anywhere uh, will cause an upset and a delay to somebody else and that will affect somebody else in the, in the chain of, of things as well. Thank you, Tim, for your text. Uh, by the way, we are getting a few calls and we are checking this out uh, and it's to do with a bus going to bingo in a certain Cork location and the price of the bus is increased and people are, aren't happy about that. I'm going to check it on. The price increase isn't huge, but still it is an increase Uh, we are checking it out and when we have an answer we will go through those comments uh, with the answer as well but we are just uh, confirming details of that but we have got a number of comments in regarding that particular situation regarding bingo and the cost of attending uh, bingo in Cork we were discussing Brexit there earlier with uh, the uh, MEP in waiting anyhow Deirdre Clume for Ireland South and when we were discussing politics in general and general elections and all of that James in Limerick says there is no difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gill. They should all join together. Neither of the parties has any sympathy for the poor, uh, feels James in Limerick to Bernie on 1850 And we were talking about the traffic earlier. We are going back to that issue of traffic and we got so many calls and tweets yesterday evening in particular from people uh, who were living in the county, working in the city and it took them nearly two hours uh, to get home last night. Were you one of those? If you were, let Bernie know. 1850 Let us know exactly how long it took you uh, to get to work or to get home from work yesterday evening. We all know traffic is increasing on our roads, but it seems once there is an accident on the South Link, uh, the whole city uh, comes to a standstill and that then affects parts of the county and people trying to get home then. They don't get home until gone beyond seven or even eight o'clock or later last night, it, it seems, from a lot of people who were on to us yesterday evening. But on that and on the discussion we had earlier, uh, on homelessness and people trying to access a home uh, Mossy says just like to say that capitalism is great for a few but not for many we've got to think outside the box to make quality of life equal for all the one way I think that's possible is to take money out of the economy and people we all work 
on a different system. Obviously, people will laugh and then based what I say, but the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Change must happen for life to become easier for everyone widespread, says Mossy on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And we will go back to a lot of those calls and comments regarding the issue of traffic shortly. And just a few comments in all of the similar vein, but one here, first of all, and this is regarding the sentencing yesterday. Uh, in court regarding a female teacher who had sex with one of her underage students. Uh, She was jailed, of course, for one year. Uh, A number of comments in on this. Uh, First of all, this particular text is saying, I think the sentence that teacher got is a disgrace for having an affair with uh, that particular 16-year-old. Now, this person claims that 16-year-old know what he was doing. We don't know exactly what happened in their situation, but uh, the texter is saying uh, people got less for assault and manslaughter. And... uh, Maureen saying I was taken back at the length of the sentence for that particular teacher yes surely in the future it will set out a rule and it will deter that happening again uh, but I felt that the the way that particular teacher is now going to be in a, a jail for a year and sharing a jail with people who have committed manslaughter and indeed murder and she will be in the same place as them I think that is unfair surely that needs to be looked at by the law uh, well of course all those comments are coming on the back of what happened yesterday and I mentioned that female teacher who had sex with one of her underage students jailed for one year the court heard their sexual relationship began two years ago when she was 23 and he was just 16 years old now they had sex for the first time on his 16th birthday and she claimed she was naive because she thought that the legal age was different and indeed obviously uh, that's what, what was said in court yesterday well more on what was said in court yesterday our course correspondent Frank Graney was at the court and this is his report from that case yesterday The 25 year old woman who can't be named to protect the boy's identity sobbed uncontrollably in the dock as Judge Martin Nolan handed down sentence She told the court that she accepts full responsibility for what happened and is truly sorry She said she thought the legal age of consent was 16 George Nolan accepted her excuse, but as a teacher he said she should have known. He said very little inquiry would have informed her. He said it was completely unethical for a teacher to have sexual relations with a student and it was a criminal matter because of his age. He then handed down a three-year prison sentence but suspended the final two years. Frank Grenier there reporting yesterday from the court on that particular case uh, just more comments on that first of all Elizabeth saying I agree with the sentence I think we need to get tougher with our laws you can't just break the law and expect to walk away uh, even though it is a tough sentence I feel it would deter others from going down this particular route uh, while Jim saying, while the sentence is tough, uh, and I agree with sentencing, I do feel this one is particularly tough for this teacher. Uh, maybe no harm to have it in place, but at the same time, Jim feels while others who uh, commit murder uh, and do worse, they don't get strict enough sentences. But yes, something like this, Jim feels, is uh, too strict. Uh, but yes, still needs to be uh, reprimanded. But Jim feels a bit too strict uh, for his view on that. Uh, and many people have mixed views on the sentencing yesterday. Anyhow, that was the sentencing for that particular teacher. And Frank Graney gave us the details of what happened in court uh, yesterday on that. Uh, still a lot of calls coming in on traffic discussing that next. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie 
Fremont session that will go on tonight. It's raising funds for Billy O'Brien of Fremont who was travelling to Kenya with the Ray of Sunshine Foundation. Lep Scarecrow Festival is currently running at the moment. It's going to run until Sunday and you can go along and visit Lep to see many scarecrow displays, street entertainment, puppet shows, there's a parade there as well, witch dancing and lots more fun across the week and into this weekend. Can Turk Golf Club, they're holding a fundraiser and that is going ahead tonight. It's an age of the Irish Community Rapid Response Air Ambulance. Bermal Cahi will host the introduction of mindfulness evening and with special guest Alice Taylor there. That's tonight, 8 o'clock at Cantor Golf Club. Tickets there are €20 Euros and they're available from the Golf Club or indeed they're also available tonight at the door. Cadolary Bingo, that's going ahead in the Parish Hall tonight. Doors open at 8 o'clock with Bingo there starting at 8.30. Ballonhasset Community Development will hold a fundraising social dance and that's on tonight at the Marion Hall in Ballonhasset dancing to C and M Sound from 9.45. Tim League Community Bingo, that's going ahead at 8.45 this evening. The week's jackpot is €2,140 Euros. and Clutter Rovers GEA, they are holding their weekly lottery draw. That's in Derry's Bar tonight. And it's on at, well, no time on this, but it's going ahead tonight anyhow with Jackpot there of €3,000. And for tomorrow night as part of the Willie Dunn weekend, come hold us Clotori Aaron. They will hold a singing night at Fremont Heritage Centre. And that's going ahead tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. All are welcome, especially singers, and admission is free. And a boat fishing competition in aid of the Chernobyl Children's Trust. That's going to be held in Cork Harbour. And it's on tomorrow. Places are limited. €100 to winter with 3000 euros in prize money. If you want further details on that particular competition, you can text Dara on 085-1340-405. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. I'm mentioning there earlier the calls and tweets we got yesterday evening regarding the traffic that hit the city, an accident at the Jack Lynch Tunnel uh, that occurred in the late afternoon that meant that traffic was backed up along the South Link. The city built up as well, the North Ring built up and then that... Uh, affected people going travelling to the county and we heard from so many people who basically could not get home uh, missed collecting their children from childminders and people who also missed appointments and gyms and there was just frustration yesterday for people who wanted to go on a 10 minute journey and it took them an hour and a half some people stuck in their cars for two hours as well uh, Councillor Thomas Gould Sinn Féin Councillor has raised issues before about city traffic that is affecting areas of the county as well he joins me uh, Thomas good morning to you good afternoon at this stage to you Good afternoon, John Paul. Uh, you've also been on about this and you feel that at this stage we know we need a Northern Ring Road but at this stage if we were to get that it would take probably nearly 15 years and it's too late. Uh, but something needs to be done with the capacity and if Cork is going to go as it is with high-rise buildings and bringing in industry to the area we can't keep telling everybody move to Cork, bring your business here if we're going to have people in their car for two hours sitting on the link roads. You see, the problem here, John Paul, is a lack of planning for the future of Cork. Now, a lot of people listen to me and they read about me and they think, I'm only on about this for the north side, but this is a vital piece of infrastructure for the whole of the city and county. Because what I'm looking to do is to connect the from the Dunkettle roundabout through Glanmire, out um, through Ballyfaland, Blarney Tower, and all the way out to Ballancolly. And what that would do is, yesterday when you would have had a crash in the tunnel, people could have avoided the tunnel and then gone the Northern Ring Road, which would have meant it would uh, reduce the backlog 
Because the, the big issue here, we know there's an increase, there's more cars on the road. So the question is, what are we doing then? Now, I know we need to invest in our public transport, and I support that. But we're one of the only major cities that don't have a complete ring road around the city. So when people hear me talking about the Northern Ring Road, it's not just for the North side, it's for all Cork City and County. And when you look and at the city nearest to us, Limerick, they have a great na- road network right around the city. And you would be fearful, and many people feel, that because we don't have that and people are stuck in the cars as we had yesterday evening, and there's more and more of this going on, more and more accidents where people are stuck in the cars for two hours and unable to get home, and that a lot of the industry are looking at Cork and going, well, if you're going to have that situation, unhappy workers, let's look at Limerick. Well, and the thing about this, um, let's call it speed, the speed. Cork TDs and ministers over the last 20 years have fallen down and not done their job to make sure Cork had the proper infrastructure. And here we are now, you have cities like Limerick, Dublin's had a ring road for years, and we're like second-class citizens here in Cork. Like, what other second city of a country would have no ring road around it? And you see, the problem here now, John Paul, is even if there's a minor accident on the Southling Road, it causes chaos. I like, I'm actually sitting in my car now. I'm on Harborview Road in Ochtahini, and I park just to let your listeners know. And the traffic and the articulated trucks and the heavy goods vehicles that are driving up through this estate, down on Cathedral Road, down into Farnley, like, this wouldn't be accepted in any proper, uh, in any proper major city. We should have all these heavy-duty vehicles on the ring road outside of it. And, like, I was listening to a lady there. It took her an hour and 40 minutes to get from town to Ballincollig yesterday. Like, that's 10 minutes on a bad day. And uh, and you mentioned there about those particular roads, Cathedral Road, and where you were on Harborview Road. I mean, those roads were certainly not meant for big, heavy trucks and indeed articulated trucks. But I've noticed over the last number of years, I drive on the North Ring Road every day, and that particular road is just becoming a standstill. I mean, the, the, North, the South Ring can be a standstill. The North Ring is becoming like that between the traffic lights that are based on that particular road. Traffic can't free flowly or, or flow freely because of all the particular lights that are there which of course are for the residents but I think that road has just got outdated now for the level of traffic on the North Ring and that affects people then if they're going or coming to work from North Cork and from East Cork and likewise the South Link then for people from West Cork so it's too I know we we're on about building roads but are we too late or have we gone past that because if you build a road now it's not going to be completed for a number of years so, so, so where well, do we go? What I did at Last week, or the last Cox City Council meeting, I had a motion that was supported by all political parties, which doesn't very happen. Doesn't happen that often. All the political parties would support the Sinn Féin motion to reach the Taoiseach looking to get uh, the green light to start the process to build the Northern Ring Road. At least if we had the process in place to develop a plan to get procurement to buy the land that's necessary. But what we're looking for is a green light off the government, and we're not getting that. And you mentioned, like, the Northern Ring Road, because people living in Mayfield and Ballivalet and cannot get in and out of their homes. But not alone that, John Paul, I was out Blarney recently, and the amount of traffic now that is using Blarney to, to skip the city, either they're going to Ballon Colleague or they're coming the other way to go to Glanmire. And new villages like Kerry Point Village, a lovely little village, and the amount of traffic now that are starting to use country roads through villages, through small towns, and they're not built for that. And talking to people in Blarney, 
There are people someday can't get out there states in cold and blurry because there is so much traffic using using their places as an alternative route because people are trying to stay off the southern ring road. You're right, and I'm aware of people who work in the Carrickthool Hill Island area who go via Glanthorne if they can't get in because of an accident on the main motorway there. They're going via Glanthorne and Glanmire, and then you have people who, like the roads you mentioned there, Harbourview Road uh, from North Cork are travelling up via the north side and they're travelling down then. Uh, they get into Banning there via Claro, and they're very much back roads and small rural roads, I suppose, as they were, but they're packed to capacity and they can't take the, the traffic. The traffic has to pull in you have to leave one car go at a time because those roads weren't built for that. So uh, we're, we're talking about all the areas of the suburbs that go into big towns in the county and you mentioned politicians there. Do you feel so when you look at other cities that the politicians in Cork who were in Leinster House uh, no matter what party they are with that they have failed Cork over the last 20 years when you look at the current situation for a city which basically can't move? Well you see the proof is in the pudding. Limerick had their TDs and their ministers and junior ministers, and you look at the infrastructure in Limerick. Like it, it's an awful thing to say, but if you go down to the Healy Rays constituency in North Kerry, they have better roads in North Kerry because of the Healy Rays than we had up here because of the Fianna Fáil and the Fianna Gael ministers and junior ministers. And we must remember, like virtually all the main government parties have been in power in the last twenty years. And they've not delivered for the North Side, and they've not delivered for Cork because, like, I, I ask you, people should drive down to North Kerry at it, look at the roads they have in the middle of the country, and then come up to Blairy and Glanmire and uh, do not look where the North Ballycolleg and the North Ring Road should be collecting. We're, we're, we're after being forgotten about, and if you haven't been forgotten about, you certainly haven't done your job. And, like, the same thing happened here, and a completely different subject. They took the 4th Battalion out of the Army Barracks in Cork. We're the only second city. And the reason that happened is because Michael Looney wouldn't let it happen in Limerick and Phil Hogan wouldn't let it happen in Kilkenny. And there has to be one in Dublin. And straight away, the Cork TDs and ministers uh, from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have failed us. And just, like, what we're saying is this should have all been done years ago. Why was it done everywhere else but not in Cork? And the big question people are putting to us this morning again, and some are saying use public transport, but those who do say, we only have buses, we don't have a light rail system. We we have a good rail system coming in from the East Cork area and from Mallow as well, but from other areas, and especially within suburbs, if you don't have a rail, the buses are delayed because they're caught in the traffic as well. So it's a no-win situation sometimes when it comes to public transport, and that wasn't invested in. But see, you look at the towns right around, there's no bus service to carry Pike, there's a limited bus service to talk to... To, to tower. There's no bus service on Sunday as well. If you go on the other side then, uh, Raccoonie, place like that, uh, carrying the van, White Dutch, if the, the bus services are a sham. Like, if, if we're trying to get people out of the cars, like, we we perform something in, in our pre-budget submission that it should be free public transport for all children under the age of 18. But going with that then, we need a proper service so that parents know that their children can get to school and get to college and move around. But at the moment, some buses service are 40 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, yeah. so maybe two or three times a day. Like, we're talking about the environment and getting people out of cars. What incentive is there for people who... If people are busy, they have work, they have school, they have college, they have hospital appointments. They cannot trust the bus service at the moment. And they can, they're using the cars on roads that are full to the brim. 
a good point and they can't get there then because of the cars uh, on the road uh, can't get through the traffic for the moment uh, Thomas thanks for joining us on that issue which caused a lot of mayhem and indeed a lot of problems yesterday evening uh, Thomas Gould there uh, City Councillor uh, for Sinn Féin and on that and people saying it took them two hours to get home the majority of your calls coming in uh, basically are saying that if there's a one crash on the South Link the whole city stops and then you have everybody delayed trying to get home collecting children making appointments and you could be an hour and a half to two hours uh, for people who contacted us uh, one person Neve, I think it was took her an hour and 15 minutes uh, to get off the South Link and to travel to Inishannon and we have more people who took them two hours to get home uh, from their workplace in the city uh, to areas like Nad and Kenturk and other places anyhow uh, we'll only have to see what happens in the future but not much can be done uh, with the level of traffic on our roads if we don't have the infrastructure. Just two items here I want to give a mention to. The first one uh, sent in to us by post from Dumanwe, the Dumanwe Historical Association. The candlelight concert is going to go ahead in St Mary's Church in Dumanwe on Friday the 8th of November at 8pm and tickets are 10 euros and uh, sent to us uh, as a private message to the C103 Facebook page you can do that to at C103 Cork on Facebook Age Action in partnership with Elosh they're running a one-off free of charge computer and personal devices course in Ballyvorney and it's for over 55s they have plans for a possible course as well in Ballingiri and if they have enough learners to attend uh, well then if you want to get involved uh, in this you can do so by texting or registering your interest to 0871 one nine five six zero two six, or you can email getting started cork at haction.ie or get in contact with us and we'll pass on details for you on that and I mentioned there earlier we've got a few texts and calls and this is regarding uh, those who are going to play bingo in Kenturk every Wednesday those who go by bus uh, can Turk Bingo are now have to increase the price of the bus uh, they're charging 5 euros now for each person on the bus it was always 2 euros and this person on text saying if I want to bring my son and daughter or others I could be paying 10 euros before I get my bingo books and sheets uh, it's a lot of money uh, for people and others saying the same we did check that and we are waiting for people to come back uh, from Kenturk on that but we do know from those who were at the bingo in Kenturk uh, who contacted us in the meantime and we found people that do attend the bingo that they did explain this on the night uh, so the answer to this is that that can Turk Bingo uh, are going to start charging five euros per person uh, on the bus. It was always two euros, but a lot of people have said that they won't pay uh, the, the two euros but it's seemingly anyhow this was announced at the actual bingo uh, last Wednesday and just getting the details from Bernie on this uh, the price increase at the bingo last weekend it was announced the reason they are investing uh, and increasing the price for the bus is simply uh, they're losing money on the bus and the price had to go up so that's the answer on that really uh, for, for those who were in touch with us uh, concerned about the increase in price it's going off from two euros to three euro if you're on the bus uh, that brings you to Cantor Bingo I presume that bus is run by the bingo uh, but the reason uh, which was said by callers to us who have told us who were at the bingo last week it was said the reason they are doing this is because they are losing money on the bus and they've had no choice but to increase the price so that is the reason if we get more on that we will bring that to you uh, we're going to the movies though next with Mark Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And time to go to the movie review with Mark as we do each and every Friday. Afternoon to you, Mark. Hello, Joe Paul. And this week you went along to see the latest Terminator movie. Here is the trailer first. My name is Sarah Connor. I hunt Terminators. Linda Hamilton is back and better than ever. 
the best Terminator since T2. Americana, I'm going to help you. We choose our weapons and we take it down. Terminator Dark Fate. I'll be back. Okay, I did watch the actual trailer yesterday and it is, for the, the two minutes that they have on the trailer, it does capture you and you kind of get lost in the actual uh, trailer movie itself. Is it as good though as the trailer? Do you know what it is? Yes. Um, okay, James Cameron has come back. It's almost like the previous three films. Like how many, do you, do you know how many Terminator films there have been? Not too sure. This is there the a sixth one. It's a sixth. Yeah, oh, I was going to say five, but six. And it's almost like the previous three, they've just kind of gone, well, okay. We're, we're going to pretend they didn't even exist and it's interesting to hear the trailer there we're actually in the trailer they're promoting it as the third best Terminator film which I thought was extraordinary I mean I don't know how the people who uh, you know made Terminator 3, 4 or 5 think about it I've watched 3, 4 and 5 I've reviewed 3, 4 or 5 here with you and Patricia can't remember anything about them to be honest with you uh, I do remember do you remember one of them didn't Christian uh, Bale go crazy at one stage and he was recorded shouting at one of the prop men or something Yeah, you know, that's what I remember about Th- one of those, those things films. people remember so even the producers have decided, well, look, the previous three don't, didn't really exist. You know what I mean? So James Cameron has come back. Uh, he got to Tim Miller, who is the director of Deadpool, could become involved here. So James Cameron has written the story and uh, Tim has uh, directed this. And basically, you know, there's this, this incredible sense of nostalgia, I think, in Hollywood over the last few years, you know, what with Jurassic Park and the, the sequels and so on. And here and with Star Wars and here again, it's very, very much you get the impression here that, you know, they've looked at the fan base here and they've decided we're going to make a movie for them like they did like J.J. Abrahams did with I think Star Wars and so there's lots of references to the first two movies we even heard it there for example Linda Hamilton saying I'll be back for example and there's even a line where for example one of the characters says come with me if you want to live which is all references to the first film the first film was hugely important to me you know I had it on video I had it on DVD I have it on Blu-ray and I've watched it I don't know 2,000 times the second movie I didn't enjoy as much even though people considered that to be the better one because they had so much money to spend for me it was a little bit too big a moral bankrupt at times but I think some of the action sequences are extraordinary so this is basically what they've done here they've gone back they've decided uh, we'll ignore the previous three films we're going to remake the first two and it's basically the same story here again at this time instead of Linda Hamilton Linda Hamilton if you remember in the very first film uh, they send Arnold Schwarzenegger as uh, the Terminator to come and kill her because she's going to produce a son who will then be part of the resistance who will fight against the machines it's the exact same story uh, here once again only this time uh, they've sent an incredible Terminator who is kind of uh, better than anybody who has ever very come before and they've sent back Mackenzie Davis who is this woman instead of Michael Bean. Am I overcomplicating this? Yeah. It was Michael <laughs> Bean in the first film this time it's Mackenzie Davis who is this kind of super soldier from the future to come and try and fight the Terminator uh, to try and save uh, Natalie Reyes who plays this character of Danny Ramos who once again will in the future produce a son who will then become part of the resistance and so therefore... So it kind of makes you wonder why they bother then if they can kind of travel through time the whole time. Why don't they just go back every time? You know what I mean? Why yeah. do we bother going through a film? Why do we even bother going to try and kill this Terminator? When we just go back five minutes earlier and, and warn everybody. Do you know what I mean? So if, if you overthink about it, you know, you're not going to enjoy it. But certainly the action sequences, the look of the film, the feeling and the, the, the whole kind of spirit of the film is very, very similar to the first two films. Yeah, it's very fast moving as well uh, compared to some of the other films I felt when a, a sequence was about to happen, it happened fast and it just 
just caught your imagination. I think part of the problem, what I do remember of the previous films was mm. just how kind of dark and they were, you know what I mean? And they were incredibly overcomplicated. Whereas this, it's not. It's just plain, simple fact. The Terminator's here to kill this woman and the heroes then are, are, are there to, uh, to try and save her. Then about three quarters of the way into the film, who makes an appearance but Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. He's back himself. As I might as well tell you, right, the original Terminator. So it's not as if he's there, you know, as somebody else. In a storyline and a kind of tweak to the storyline that I didn't believe. I just, I just couldn't. Um, and I thought it was a bit silly. But what he does do is the, the film is completely humorless up to that point and it's almost like they brought Ar- Arnie in just to start telling jokes. And, oh, yeah? Yeah, and then the whole film kind of, you know, has this kind of comedic touch to it then after that. And again, but the problem is, for me, is that basically it's, I have this feeling of deja vu throughout the whole thing. I've seen all these action sequences before. I've seen the Terminator do the exact same thing when it goes into liquid and then comes back again and has kind of swords for arms. I've seen all this before. The action sequences all look very similar. And as I say, I think they've made this for the fans. And Arnie coming back, is it a case though when you see him like I did in the trailer, you go, oh, it's kind of that old moment that he's back and you expect him to be appearing somewhere and if he didn't, would it be a letdown? Not necessarily. I don't think it was necessary no. for him to really, really be there. The good thing, the other good thing about it, of course, he's got three female, strong female leads here, yeah. which very rarely happens. Linda Hamilton is not a spring chicken anymore as uh, is Arnold Schwarzenegger so it's good to see a woman in her 60s you know still an action uh, you know star with a great big huge cannon you know firing at a Terminator and that's uh, good to see look it's not a complete waste of time let's make that quite clear if you haven't seen the Terminators in a very very long time I think you'd enjoy it if you're a fan of the original movies I think you know um, this will be for you I wasn't bored there wasn't as many action sequences as I wanted and uh, there were occasional kind of um, funny bits as well in the in the end I think it's okay I think it's fine and um, and you know it's, it's, it's a piece of entertainment and it, it you know it's set out to entertain and it achieved that I think Well Jerry is agreeing with you he says don't ask too many questions just go and enjoy the film while Dan in the city says the first Terminator film was the best of all he didn't like the rest of them and he said he wouldn't go and see any of the follow-ups if you paid him uh, to, go, to go along and see them so Dan has a, a different point of view uh, out, of, out of 10 how would you rate this? Look it's still an entertaining seven but you've seen it all before Entertaining seven, yeah, uh, same kind of storyline. But like what Jerry says, just go along, switch off the the, the asking questions, and like, you might be happy out. Like you have to do, <laughs> like you have to do. Okay, seven out of ten for the Terminator Dark Fate, and then uh, Midsummer. And I saw this as well on trailer before we came on here this morning. Uh, just tell us about this another one that could capture the minds, and it's appropriate for this time of the year. It's kind of a bit of a scary feel to this. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly not a film that you got to switch off from though, because you have to kind of watch this and keep an eye on what's yeah. happening because there's a lot happening. Here. Here. And um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very odd, strange, weird film from the director of Hereditary, which people liked a lot. Uh, I thought it was okay. I didn't like it as much as, as a lot of people. Hereditary was more kind of horror based than this. This isn't really, this is horror elements, but it's, it's more of a kind of a psychological drama. Uh, it stars uh, Florence Pugh, this extraordinary actress uh, who you would have seen in Fighting With My Family and Macbeth um, recently. I mean, she's this the English actress who is just, it seems to be just brilliant in, in everything she does. And when we meet her, she has had um, this awfully kind of horrific, destructive kind of thing happen to her family. So she's basically, throughout the film, in kind of 
breakdown. She's almost kind of suffering from PTSD from what has happened. And there's an extraordinary scene at the start of the film where she's on this phone where she's trying to contact her sister. And it's just some of the most amazing acting I've ever seen. And throughout the whole film, she just produces this kind of this performance of kind of depth that you very, very rarely ever see these days. I mean, she really, really is that good. And the film also uh, has Jack Rayner, who's an Irish actor, and Will Poulter, who is an English actor, all playing Americans, which is kind of, you know, the way cinema seems to be at the moment. You know yeah. what I mean? There's so many American movies being made with non-Americans in the lead roles, which, uh, um, which I find extraordinary. So anyway, so, so she's had this awful thing happen to her. And she's also in the process of kind of breaking up with her boyfriend, played by Jack Rayner here, and whose friend decides, look, I'll tell you, we're on our way to Sweden in the middle of summer uh, where it never gets dark. It might get grey. The skies might get grey for an hour or two at night. And uh, we're going to go to this kind of midsummer, this kind of festival, this kind of pagan rite, which uh, these people kind of do in the middle of uh, summer in, in Sweden. And we'll bring her along. Now, some of them don't want her to come along because of what she's going through. But they bring her along anyway. So for, a, for the first kind of hour of the movie, not a great deal happens, you know. It's really, really slow moving. They get there, it's out in the middle of nowhere, and basically everybody's in white robes and everybody initially is kind of very friendly and very welcoming. But then, of course, there's a, it, it, there's a darker kind of side to this kind of pagan rite uh, where it kind of delves into kind of psychological kind of, uh, kind of warfare and violence and grotesque violence, and, and they become all caught up uh, within this. It might sound familiar to you. I mean, you might have heard this before. It's uh, it's very like the Wicker Man, and that was my first yeah. thought when I saw it. Now, the, the original Wicker Man, not the one with Nicolas Cage, the one with Edward Woodward, and it's very very similar to. And that. there's been other movies, and indeed some of the soaps have played on what the storyline is is in this as well. So it's something that has been kind of touched on before. Yeah, and it's actually there are similar um, uh, kind of points too to Hereditary as well. In fact, one of the characters have the exact same name, even though the director says, "Look, it's got nothing to do with Hereditary. It's got nothing to do with the Wicker Man." Although at one stage, Jack Rayner is dressed up in a bear suit, which actually Nicolas Cage did in his version of uh, The Wicked Man. So it's very similar to that. It's got the very same kind of feel to it. The film is, looks extraordinary because it's filmed in complete daylight and normally films these days, and it's something I give out about, uh, they're very kind of, uh, they're, they're almost filmed in darkness. Here, they kind of almost bleached up the sunshine. And the extraordinary thing is, is it, the film was made actually in, in Hungary. It wasn't actually made in Sweden, which is kind of odd. And, um, and so I think that's deliberate. It's deliberate because basically what it's saying is it's all sunshine and light and the film looks amazing, but there's this darker side to this rite, this kind of, uh, this kind of pagan ceremony which uh, happens uh, um, every 90 years um, uh, in this part of Sweden. There are times when it becomes incredibly violent and bizarre and odd and weird and, and horrific as well although it's not a horror movie I wasn't frightened by anything of what I saw but it is rather grotesque at times and that's obviously deliberate uh, by the um, by the director it is very slow paced as I said so uh, the, I think the runtime of 141 minutes will kind of catch people out although there's 30 minutes taken out because of the fact that it was going to get a much higher rating so there's an awful lot more violence and there's a lot more nastiness in there I'd say in a director's cut which we might uh, see in the future um, I will recommend people to see it, but just be wary of it um, if you are sensitive of nature that there are some scenes here which will shock you and uh, and which, you know, uh, might affect you. I was entertained by it very, very much. I thought it's, it's, it's something quite original. Um, I haven't seen anything like this for a very, very long time, even though it has references to The Wicker Man, which I love very much indeed. And I would recommend it, but just be careful of some of the scenes. OK, out of 10 for this? I'll give it eight. Eight, that's a high rating. I yeah. want to check out Midsummer. Uh, eight out of ten. Now, Mark, thank you for that. Back yeah. again next week with our movie review. 
and we were discussing the traffic issues affecting the city and county earlier. Uh, Councillor Thomas Gould joined us on this and what needs to be done, uh, but what hasn't been done. And if we build new roads now, it could be 10 to 15 years before we see anything actually uh, completed. Well, on that, a texter saying, I was going to Cork yesterday evening at about 5.30 from Mallow. The traffic coming from Cork was bumper to bumper as far back as Rathadoff. The road should have been a motorway from the very start. And now Shane Ross wants to divert traffic via uh, care for the new M20. Our local TDs are sitting on their hands, says that particular texter. And uh, regarding water in Boherbui, uh, yeah, there is no water in Boherbui at the moment due to a burst water main and water will return in the Boherbui and surrounding area uh, from three o'clock this afternoon. And the group we had in studio a few weeks ago, Loose Women, uh, they're a group for women in Mallow and they're going to have a talk from a mental health nurse and that's going to be held in where they meet every Thursday, the Mercy Centre in Mallow from 9am to 12 noon and they'll have a talk from a mental health nurse uh, this uh, coming Thursday and of course teas and coffees served there as well uh, that's from the Loose Women Group in Mallow Trisha Messenger is back with you on Monday morning from 10am following the midterm break uh, thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced I'm John Paul McNamara enjoy your weekend when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.